Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett, and you're tuned into Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, etc., where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Don't forget to hit the like button um, and to share this with anyone who you think might be able to take advantage of the information. Today, I've got Jared. Is this your third time on the show? I think it so. could actually be. It could actually be. I forget. I lose track of time because we have talked so many times on air and off air. <laughs> yes, and and um, I I wrote an email to my list about the fact that you and I were doing a video together, and I think I went back and looked, and there were there were two other appearances. One that go is back quite a few couple of years actually, mm. um, and so uh, for those of you who don't know Jared, he's the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And you also have a community and you do consulting work where you help people buy online businesses specifically. And, and that's today what we're going to be talking about. We're going to, we're going to call this video buying an online business to produce passive income. And, and, and we really are going to talk about that. It's not just that we found keywords we think are going to do well in the YouTube algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll prove it. I'll prove it right here, right now. That's right. Okay, good. So, yes. so I mean, let's let's get started here because uh, we have a lot of stuff that we want to cover. We're going to have a lot of great great value bites here in this video. Um, for a quick recap, for people that that haven't thought too much about online businesses, how do you, you categorize them in a couple of a broad sort of buckets? Don't you to sort of classify these things? Yeah. So there's so there's three main types of online businesses, and each one is different for a different person, and it could be not to buy a business based on uh, a niche or an industry that you're super passionate about. This should be an investment decision. We should be unemotional about it um, to a certain extent. And also what type of business model that you choose will be dependent on what you know, your competence in running that type of business and or what you know or your confidence in scaling that type of business. And I'll talk about the best type of business model for a beginner versus somebody who's experienced. So the three type, sure. types of business models are um, a content business, then you have e-commerce business, and then you have a membership business or a SaaS business. So what a content business is, is it's a business that produces content and media, and they make money through that content that they produce or through the audience that they have. So an example of that is like a content website that will be a a blog. Okay. It could be a mummy blog. It could be a fashion blog. It could be a blog about, you know, um, building chicken coops. It could be a blog about how to do farming. Uh, and what they'll do is they'll, they'll create a bunch of content and they may have ads on that content. And that's how they make their revenue is through ad revenue, or they might have affiliate links that link to products that they talk about and they can make a commission. Sometimes they will do smart things like create their own information product, like an ebook or a course or something like that, which is a value, a value mm -hmm. add to most of these businesses that we will look at today. So I'll share my screen with everybody shortly and show them these tips, these types of business models. The second one is an e-commerce business. Now, most of us know what an e-commerce business is. It's something that sells products. It could be physical products or it could be digital. Most of them are uh, physical products. And there's a few different types of e-commerce businesses. One is a self-product distribute where you can purchase the product in bulk from a manufacturer. It can be anywhere in the world, China, US, Australia, and then you can have that product on hand in your own warehouse or in your home or your garage and you'll self-distribute that through the mail. That's self-product distribution. Then you have drop shipping where you 
can sell other people's products on your web store. And when you purchase that product from a wholesaler or a drop shipper, we call them, you, you'll buy it at wholesale and they'll send it out to the customer for you and they purchase that retail. So you don't actually have to stock or own your own product, which is drop shipping. Then you have, uh, so like fulfillment by Amazon and 3PL, which is third-party logistics, which is basically a same similar warehouse to what Amazon does. And you can purchase your product from a manufacturer or have it made sent to that warehouse when an order is made from your site or the store on Amazon, then the logistics party like Amazon FBA, and that stands for fulfillment by Amazon or the 3PL, which is the third-party logistics, they will, an order will be triggered and they'll grab that package and they'll send it out to the customer for you. So you don't actually have to do the shipping yourself. And, and would, would I be correct in guessing that the more your hands are on it, probably the greater the margins are people are, but also the greater the risks. So, I mean, you're talking about potentially investing a bunch of money to have an inventory in your garage, as you put it, you know, like in a physical yeah. space. So that is going to require a greater investment, more risk if your product doesn't sell. And then, you know, having someone else drop ship their product. I mean, you don't, you don't have any risk at all. You can make zero sales and really you're just out your time, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll, there's different levels of risk. I would say um, it's actually less risky to own the product yourself and distribute the product yourself through your own warehouse. For okay. example, if you're doing Amazon FBA, they actually control you. So uh, when they can delay how long it takes for your product to get into the fulfillment agency, they can um, charge you more for shipping fees uh, and they can delist your listing off the Amazon web store, which means it can cost you a lot of money. I've got a client that, that whenever that happens, it happens a couple of times a year. He loses like $25,000, $30,000 in his sales in one day. What? Every single day because his listing gets taken off the Amazon store. So what we've done is we've worked out how we can sell it himself and through, through third-party logistics and do it that way without having to be controlled by a party like Amazon. So, and then with drop shipping, there is risk of if you're selling a product that you don't own, everybody can sell that same product. So right. everybody can become your competition. So that's a high risk there as well. I think the, the best way to do it is to create your own product, distribute it yourself through your own warehouse or third-party logistic and sell it on your own site, not such as Amazon. If you're going down the e-commerce route, it would, would cost more money. It would take a longer time to build because you have to build up the audience. Amazon already has that audience. Hmm. Uh, so it would be less risk in terms of competition and losing money on listings. It would take a little bit more work as well, uh, but also less risky. So that's that's e-commerce businesses. Do you want me to move on to the last one? Or do you have more questions? Around well, that? I'm just, I mean, you know, I've, I've talked with a lot of people who have done Amazon FBA or who are doing it and they they like to complain about Amazon. I mean, I've, I've heard oh, yeah. this quite a lot. And so I, I'm glad that you pointed out the circumstance of your client because it really does highlight the fact that when you get into bed with you know an outfit that big, really they're the ones that are making all the rules. You have to accept everything that, that they lay out. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, multi-level marketing in a sense that you don't own the business. They basically own the business because 
whoever owns the audience really owns the business, right? Mm -hmm. And they can, you know, you can go, oh, cool, they've already built an audience. And that's why beginners can go, I've made a whole lot of money really easily, but they don't know how to build an audience. They don't know how to market. They don't know how to do sales, right? Amazon works that out for you. You just need a product, give it to them and they'll, they'll, it's a little bit more complex than that, but you get my, my suggestions in, in that sense that Amazon can controls the whole business and every single person that's on Amazon hates Amazon. <laughs> Amazon, <laughs> are Amazon are a terrible, uh, is a terrible business model uh, because of that, because they just, they control you. And, and so other people such as Walmart are kind of following along in the same sort of fashion. Are you hearing the same kinds of things uh, with respect to those other marketplaces? Yeah. So Walmart, you've got like Walmart, re like brick and mortar Walmart, and then you can have Walmart online where people can list their products for sale as well, where I've got clients that do the same thing. So they're listed on both, you know, the Amazon and Walmart. Yeah. yeah. All right. And, and what was the, the third category you were talking about SaaS or membership? Yeah, that's the third online business. So it's basically a membership type business and it can be SaaS, which is software as a service. Uh, and so a membership business is where people will pay a monthly, quarterly or annual fee to get access to a database of information or, or content. Uh, and that could be like, for example, Netflix, where people will purchase per month to get access to entertainment, or it could be like a membership business, like how to train your horse. Um, and they've got courses and modules and stuff like that. And you can get training in, from doing that as well. Um, so that's a membership type of business. The software as a service can be where people still pay a monthly, quarterly or annual fee to get access to a tool or a software. And that can be like an accounting software. It can be like Zoom, which we're using right now. Um, mm -hmm. It can be any sort of digital software, um, Adobe Suite and whatnot. So they're those, they're those, that's, that's that type of business model. I really like these business models because you're buying a business that already has clients or customers that have signed up to pay every month or every single year. And you have a recurring income stream as soon as you purchase it. You don't need to go away and make a whole bunch of more sales. Then and I mean, in, partic in particular with the SaaS businesses, you may be providing a tool that someone else has integrated into their own business. It's going to be quite difficult for them to, to switch if they ever you know, wanted to. They're going to be sticky with you for a long time. Yes, it has that stickiness, which is very, very smart. Yeah. So... I know I sometimes see online businesses and, and I've worked with people who've wanted to buy and sell online businesses before. And I sometimes see them listed with traditional brokers, but there are a suite or a series of brokerage companies that are specifically trying to create a marketplace for these sorts of businesses, aren't there? There is. So shall I share my screen with you and show you those? Yeah, let's take a peek. So this is where we go and find these website businesses for sale. And it's just like shopping for a piece of property that we're going to purchase, a property investment or a home. They have these brokers that list all of these different types of businesses. And we'll see that um, how much they cost, how much they're making per month and all of that sort of stuff. So can you see my screen now? I can, yeah. Cool. So there's a bunch here and I'm just going to go through some, some top ones that I'd suggest you start with. So this one, uh, so this one is Empire Flippers. Empireflippers.com. You do need to um, register and log in. And usually to purchase a business, you have to have proof of funds to send to them to show that you are actually serious about buying a business. But okay. if you click on marketplace here, what they do is they, this, you've got all these listings here for sale. 
okay? And here's the listing number, here's the niche it's in, and then this is the business model, the monetization model. Display advertising, that's a content business, okay? So it's gonna be a, usually a blog post that has display ads or revenue as well. This will be all the same, okay? Amazon Associates, okay? So that's an affiliates um, program and then subscription. So it's a bit of affiliates and a bit of uh, membership. This one is a content business because they have Amazon Associate, which is affiliate links and advertising. So you can have a combination of both. It's the same with this one in the dating niche. Then you've okay. got SaaS, which I talked about. SaaS, content, content, um, which is weird. Membership and e-commerce, a bit of, bit of an odd, odd mixture there. Um, and then let's see what we've got. Now, we got now that one is labeled as an art related business. So I'm guessing that maybe they have some kind of online yeah. courses about being creative and then maybe they sell the supplies. Maybe that's how they correct put those two correct. together. So the cool thing about Empire for the Business is they've got these listings in an actual list style. And then you've got the price here and then how much it's making in revenue, but then also it's net profit average monthly net profit so most people if we scroll we'll scroll all the way down let me see if i can move my floating head here and this will get more results on the screen and usually people may start out at purchasing around you know 20 to fifty thousand dollar price range okay uh, so we'll go to something around the Fifty to hundred thousand dollar price range, and we'll look at a couple of them. Okay, we'll look at this one. This is the content business. Oh, sorry, I clicked on it pretty early there. So uh, they lock the content for people that don't have. You've what you've got to do is you've got to click unlock listing, um, and then they'll check out that you've got your proof of funds on file, and then they give you access to the the website name and URL and all the other information that's that you need. Okay. So look at this. We've got this. It's for sale for $110,000 and it's making per month $2,263 in net profit per month. Okay. So they've got some expenses because this is the revenue, average revenue. And this is over a 12 month pricing period. So they get 12 months of revenue and divide that by 12 and get that. And then they get 12 months of net profit and they divide that by 12 and they get this. So one of the one of the big things that I've noticed about the world of online business sales is that they're the accounting period that seems to be most used is all about monthly performance versus Correct. regular brick and mortar businesses, which tends to be about an annual period. Yes. Um, it, how do you feel about that? Uh, personally, um, I think it's. I'm not emotionally attached to how they do that, but it, it's it's a little bit silly. Well, I wouldn't say silly. I understand why they do it. Online businesses move a lot faster than offline mm -hmm. businesses, right? You've got something that's digital. You can you can pivot it on a dime. Uh, a brick and mortar business, you can't pivot as quickly. I mean, you can, but not as quickly as an online business. Meaning that you know you can have six months of amazing growth in a business like this. And you, if you're going to go through a 12-month pricing period or one-year pricing period, you may not get that actual growth in the mm -hmm. business. And the person that's put that six-month of growth into the business may not get their ROI when they go to sell the business. So I understand why they do it. 
What I don't like when they do do this is, and I'll show you, I'll go back to another business. They go off a different pricing period sometimes. So that's a 12 month pricing period or an average of 12 months. Sometimes they right. go off of average of six months. So here you have a pricing period here where they, they go off six months, which I don't think is that, you know, if they've got a, um, let's click on this business, it's $50,000. $50, if they go over a, a six month pricing period, sometimes that's not actually very fair. So you can see in their last sort of six months, they just crushed it. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they price it based off one, two, three, four, five, six months and just forget what they were doing previously. The business is now at this stage and they sort of sell the business based off the premises. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting in air quotes here so that the business is going to continue on this trajectory. But right online business, like I said before, can pivot and change very, very quickly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a way of helping to show these businesses in a, in a, in a better light, or I, I know when, when people start, first started transacting in these online businesses there, we didn't have many years of, of history of this type of enterprise. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of made more sense to use the shorter accounting period, the month. Um, I, I, I'm just I'm happy that we're having this conversation because I find that some people, when they look at traditional businesses, then they get drawn into this space. They, mm -hmm. they forget that some of the ground rules are a little bit different. They definitely are. And that's why you really need to know how to do due diligence and know the different business models and the different, each business model has a different multiple. So for example, a, a business that is, uh, like a content business, they can have a multiple that's like up to like 40, 50. An e-commerce business usually will have a lower multiple. And the reason being is because uh, there's a lot more risk in uh, an e-commerce business, in my opinion, in, in terms of trying to grow it because you've got... Um, you've, you've got Facebook and Google and all these paid pay to play platforms to get your product in front of um, people. And then you also, it costs a lot of money to get your product and build an audience as well in front of people. So um, should I move on and show you some more places to purchase businesses? Yeah, sure. Let's take a look at a few more. So Empire Flippers is a big one. Um, so they sell all different types of business models. If international, uh, they usually sell sort of SaaS businesses. So if you click on buy a website, they'll have their businesses listed the sale. Empire Flippers and FE International are two juggernauts. So I'll scroll down to the bottom. Usually these ones are, you know, 20 mil, um, 10 mil. So we'll scroll down to some where somebody may start out. And a lot of them have them private. And the reason they keep them private is because they don't want sticky beaks coming in and getting the prospectus and seeing what business model how much a business is actually making and then mm -hmm. replicating that business model and becoming competition. Which I would imagine may seem quite a bit easier than the regular world of brick and mortar business. I mean, if you can, yes. if you can understand, Hey, here's an under exploited niche of content or information or products, then you can very quickly just sort of copy con like make stuff that looks almost the same and has the same keywords and things of this nature. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it, it's, you can make that business grow a lot quicker than a brick and mortar business usually. 
So here's a, um, so you can see they've got a lot of SaaS and membership type businesses. Um, so a physio or psychotherapy software um, that's making about $2,000 a month, um, 100 grand. Okay, so you can see that the, the, when you do the math here, you're getting close to like a, you're getting like a 24 ROI per year, close to, um, which is pretty cool for a, for a SaaS business that's already got paying members. Okay, so you've got 150 clients, loaned, um, lifetime value is $390. Um, what is the... One of the last times that you and I had spoken together, we were talking about how the multiples had been growing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what, I mean, there's, there's different ideas as to why this is, but obviously what makes this market for businesses a little bit different than the market for brick and mortar businesses is, is that this is truly a global market. People can buy an online business and then have it relocated and run it from almost anywhere, can't they? Yeah, that's right. You, you have a bigger pool of buyers. Uh, so if we're going to talk about multiples for a second, they have grown and they've grown in different business models. Like I said, you got those three different business models. You got content, you got e-com, and then you got SaaS. The ones that's grown the most is, is e-com and then, and then, then probably um, uh, content and then SaaS is, SaaS is slowly growing. They're all slowly growing, but content is out in the lead. I'm sorry, e-commerce out is out in the lead and then content. The reason e-commerce is out in the lead is because um, big companies like Thrasio and and people that have large PE firms, a couple hundred mil, uh, have a bunch of money that they want to purchase brands that can take that traffic and put that traffic to their, their main product and they can roll up businesses and sell mm-hmm. them and make a healthy profit. So they're happy to pay a higher multiple because they've already got leverage in-house internally. So that's right. why they're able to pay a higher multiple, which makes it harder for the average punter to get in and go, oh, well, that's a higher multiple. They have a lot more risk purchasing that business without any leverage, not financial leverage. I'm talking um, like asset and resources leverage and audience leverage. Mm-hmm. Um compared to say a, a big PE firm. So content and specifically Amazon FBA businesses have gone up in price. And I don't, I'm okay with that because I don't like Amazon FBA. And I think it's a dumb business model to, to be, to be honest. Um, and so I'm happy for them to just th- those prices and those multiples grow for those types of e-commerce businesses. Uh, and then you've got content businesses. Now they've, they've grown because they're great business models. Uh, and people see the value in them and you can have good long-term growth for them. And they're, they're pretty steady. If you've got a, if you've got a business that is a content business that has minimal risk, that's a pretty steady business model. Okay. So I'll continue on and go through some other ones you got. So oh, just Empire one Hunters. more quick, one more quick question, Jared. Yeah. Do you notice a difference between someone who's already in a business, like someone who already owns an Amazon FBA business are they as willing to pay those higher multiples as new people coming in? Because I've seen in the world of, of brick and mortar business where people who are in an industry don't seem as eager to pay as much as people who are not in the industry. And maybe it's because they have a little bit more understanding and knowledge of what's really going in and maybe a little bit more muted optimism. 
than than someone who's on the outside who's you know yeah. e- eager to get in because they have an idea of, of what yeah. they think it's going to do for them yeah they've built up this vision of what it would be like owning that business versus somebody who really owns a business has the reality of owning yeah. that business yeah so um i don't i don't know the answer to that question to be honest like I, I do have a client who I do coaching with and he, he had an Amazon FBA business, built it from start and then sold it uh, and then bought another Amazon FBA business. And we're missing a, a, a key ingredient here that I just thought of um, because he's done this is he went, Oh, I've actually got leverage in Amazon FBA and the leverage is knowledge. Because he grew a biz, he grew an FBA business, so he could find a business out of maybe a, a multiple that could be high for some people. And he go, "Oh, it's a high multiple, but I could still grow this business." So he had leverage. So it depends on. I would say it's still a, a, a valuable. If you've, it's worth paying a multiple if you've got leverage. Basically, a higher multiple if a higher multiple than most people will pay if you've got leverage. So you just need to find out where that leverage is. So. Well, I mean, we, we started off and I, I made a, a little quip, a little joke about the, the words passive income. Mm-hmm. These businesses that we're looking at here, these, these e-commerce, these in- information websites and everything, most of these owners, how much time are they putting into their websites? Let me show you. So let's look at this one here. Well, that's a, let's say you buy something for just say 500k, like what somebody may buy a house for. Um, and I want to find something that is, let's go with about 400k. Okay. Okay. So this is a 50 multiple. A reason I chose this one is because a 50 multiple is, is, is like a higher priced content business because I know the multiples based off the business models. Um, so for this one, they're making seven and a half grand net profit per month. And if we scroll down, they'll tell us here how much time they're spending per week. So five hours per week on the business. Okay, so that's 20 hours. So if we go um, 7,600, I think it was, divided by 20 hours, the hourly rate is about $380. Okay. Now, what they could do is they're just monitoring analytics, responding to emails and uploading and scheduling content. You could hire an, uh, somebody from onlinejobs.ph or anywhere, upwork.com to do a 20-hour month, which would cost you, I don't know, let's say 20 hours times 10. What's that? 200 bucks? Yeah. So there you go. So that you can make seven, you can basically, even if you spend 500 bucks a month and get somebody premium to do this work, you could still be, you know, take 500 bucks off that. You still be making seven grand a month net profit for buying a 400k business. So now when you but when you see this listed here and you see that information as far as the amount of time that the owner is spending on this in my mind if I owned a business of this nature with this in this kind of scale I would always be looking for ways to grow it looking for ways to increase traffic all that kind of stuff. It seems to me that the sort of leadership and strategy that any owner would want to put into this is missing from that that disclosure. Yeah, from from of course i mean well they, they've got um that that's definitely missing in the skill required to run the business it doesn't talk about what you could do 
or how much time you put in to grow the business, but they do give you opportunities like create a larger social media presence. Meh, I don't think that's really going to help with this. Some of these are pretty like cookie cutter ideas mm. for myself because I teach people to grow these businesses. I have clients that I take their content businesses and we double them within a year or whatever. Um, it's, a different, it's a different strategy than most of what they say here. And yes, it does require more time. For example, not on a content business. I've got a client who bought um, a membership business and... We, we grew at 60% in four months by creating a system that he didn't run. We created a system based off how the business was growing previously before he purchased it and it wasn't being done anymore. So we created a system on how to do that to grow the business and then we hired somebody to run that business and they were doing five hours per week. So he was making money on growth but used his head to do so. He didn't put that much extra time in other than speaking with me and creating that strategy. So it can be done if you're smart and you have somebody on your team that can help you do this sort of stuff. Uh, But for the average Joe, that I would say for an average Joe that doesn't want to work with me or somebody else as a mentor, you can purchase this at 400 K spend 20 hours a week on it, right? Instead of working a regular job and double the business. Do you see a lot of these things being acquired by people who are keeping their employment? Yeah, at the start, for sure. And that's my suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can easily slip in. Depends on what your life looks like in terms of kids and and time requirements. But you can usually slip in five hours and five to 10 hours of work a week, Um, you know, two hours after the kids go to bed each night over five days. Um, that's 10 hours. And then you can hire, you can build a system and hire some, a virtual assistant to do that, run that system for you. So yeah, like that's my suggestion. That's how I help people get out of the rat race and retire is by purchasing one, work it out, how to grow it and then sell, sell it for a higher price or keep it and then buy another one. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, of the very common sort of personal wealth strategy of, of have, you know, keeping your job, but then maybe buying a small rental property. You know, something you can manage in your spare time. And, but while you keep that income, it's almost like this is the same kind of strategy. Definitely. Definitely. With, I guess with more leverage, because there's more ways to grow an online business. Right. I would say more ways to add value with an online business than with property. I I like property as well. I'm about to purchase a property and I can add, I, I'm buying with the opportunity to add value, but I'm not going to do it right away. And there's only so much, so much value add that I can do in one area, right? I have to k- yeah. kick the tenants out and all that sort of stuff. But we won't, we won't talk about that. Um, should I quickly scroll through and show you some other ones before we move on to the next sort of phase? Yeah, yeah. Is Did you find some other ones that you wanted to point out some specific things to us? Um, not specifically. There's Investors Club. There's quite light brokerage. Investors Club usually sell affiliate businesses, which are content businesses. Right. Uh, then you have quite light. They sell predominantly um, e-commerce businesses. Okay. Um, sometimes I have a, a content business here and there for sale. Um, so Amazon is a content business. Amazon, course business, content business, FBA, Amazon, Amazon. Amazon e-commerce. So mainly e-commerce businesses. Um, then you have Flipper, which is the ever popular uh, marketplace where people can list their own websites for sale. Cost you about 50 bucks to do. And then you can sell it 
for what the business is worth. Um, and they've started to get really good. Flippers are, Flippers are huge name these are one of the you know the first sort of marketplaces to come about um and the guy blake hutchison who's the ceo i've spoken to on my podcast a couple of times and on my summits he's really um helped make this far better in the last few years that he's become um the ceo then you have motion invest motion invest sell content um so you've got to log in here as well i haven't done that but they sell content strictly content websites um so yeah they're those marketplaces Oh, well, this is, uh, this is really interesting. Is, is, is it, is there any particular part of the world that's dominating where these things are coming out of, or, or really, is it a global marketplace with listings and buying and selling from happening from all over the world? It predominantly like America has a lot of people that are selling listings that are above the hundred K price range. Uh, but it uh, no from there on in it's like totally global like there's people in all parts of the world like in people in my community from all like every continent that except for antarctica basically um so yeah it's pretty cool what what should people be thinking about like as far as like goals or or setting some guidelines or a framework for themselves of how to about go, go about doing this yeah so the next step is really understanding what type of business is right for you and you need you need to set some goals okay so you need to set two different types of goals you need to set a financial goal and you need to set a lifestyle goal a financial goal will be how much money do you have and how much can you afford if you got 100 grand don't spend 100 grand on the business hmm. spend maybe anywhere from 50 to 80 so you've got some pocket change there in case an emergency happens in your life or you need to put a little bit in to grow the business. The reason I say this is because I don't teach people to buy a, a, an online business to make money only. I teach people to buy an online business to make their life better. And if you're going to spend all your capital on one thing, you don't make your life better. You make your life harder because it becomes more stressful. So that's what I suggest is working out how to set a goal. And then you've got guidelines. Um, these are the guidelines or the investment criteria, you could call it, on what you should purchase. Now, for a beginner, I believe buying a content business is the best type of business model to purchase because they're slower growing businesses and you can leave a content business or a blog for a long period of time, anywhere from like a couple of months to six months, eight months, depending on the blog. And it'll still maintain its, its um, trajectory, you know, and it'll still earn an income whilst you're learning how to run and grow that business and how to become a great SEO and whatever you need to do to grow that business. So it's less of a learning curve with that type of business model. Uh, I suggest people who want to buy an e-commerce business to only purchase an e-commerce business if they know how to run one or if they're ready to put a whole lot of work in and uh, ready for a, a big awakening. You got to wear many hats with customer service, marketing, um, you know, optimizing your store and your sales process and funnel. So I suggest that's only for somebody who has been in business before. And then for a membership business, this is somebody that's in the middle ground that, um, has a bit of time that wants to work on the business, but doesn't want to have to wear a million hats all at once. Um, that's the sort of the middle ground type of business model. So that's what I would suggest in terms of those business models, but also have your financial goals and your lifestyle goals in play. Now I didn't talk about lifestyle goals. So I apologize for that. A lifestyle goal is working out how many hours you want to work in the business. Okay. So like I said, 
you know, most people can go, all right, if I'm really dedicated to building my wealth, 10 hours a week is nothing, right? I can do two hours a week, two hours a day after I put the kids to school, um, put the kids to bed. Uh, so you got to work out how much time can you spend on the business or how much time do you want to spend on the business, which will solidify a lifestyle goal. But then also what type of business model is, you know, going to be a bad business model for you in terms of like, do I want to stay in one location? Mm. Would a e-commerce business selling my own product from my garage be a bad business model for my lifestyle? P- probably. So maybe you want something that's totally digital. So that's, so you got to think about what sort of lifestyle that you want to live whilst you're running the business and can that business model provide that? So that's those goals there. And then once you know those that those types of goals, you're, you've got an investment criteria for yourself, you know where to find these businesses. Then you just need to find one that's right for you and then do your due diligence. Now that's another, that's another thing that we should probably break down. Yeah, because I, I'm I'm just I'm thinking, you know, if you when we were looking at those businesses that you were showing us there on the screen, um, we were seeing lots of numbers, and I would imagine that there's no under the table cash sales in an online business. It's all done electronically. You know, there's a record of every transaction, so it's probably very easily easy for a seller to verify, you know, the sales volume they've had and whatnot. Where are the problems? that creep up in the due diligence? Where are the hotspots that, that you're always looking at for these kinds of businesses? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the problems are usually, so there's, there's five main types of due diligence. We have SEO due diligence, which stands for search engine optimization. Then we have mm-hmm. traffic. So how much traffic's coming in the business? Um, is the traffic trending up? Is it trending down sideways and why? That's a really key thing that we need to check. Like, getting a picture and a story around what the traffic is actually doing. Uh, And then we also need to look at the marketing. What are they doing in terms of growing the business and how are they growing that type of business? Uh, And then we need to look at the competition. Um, That's a really important one to look at. Like what, where is this business at that we're looking at purchasing? And then, where's their competition at and then what we need to get from where we are with this business we might may buy to where they are and then what what could the roadblocks be um so what i normally do is i just get people to uh go away and do due diligence by getting my framework and go through all those things so i can share my screen and show that framework with you if you like yeah um all right let me i'm trying to also log into motion invest and i don't know why it's not letting me (laughs) because there are some places that you can go to find all this data without having to uh without having to like prove your income so motion invest is having a bit of a hiccup so maybe we just do it with flipper instead all right so oh you're you've muted Sorry, I did too. Let's share my screen. All right. Cool. Can you see this? Yep. So this is my framework. I give this away to people for free. Um, So if you want David to give you a link, just hit him up. Um, So I go through a bunch of stuff, but there's those those main types of due diligence that I mentioned. And what this is, is just a bunch of questions you need to ask about the business to get information and data. And that's what you need to make a smart decision. You need data, you need information. So this takes the guesswork out of buying a business because it goes through the traffic. 
Okay, what you need to know about the traffic. It goes through the financials, what you need to know about proof of funds. Okay, so sometimes in the proof of funds, they'll give you a screenshot and that isn't the best proof of funds because that could be butchered or edited. You want to get a video proof or you want to get, you know, be on a screen share with them as well. Then um, there's other things that we could do and talk about with the finances too. Do you, do you got, mean you want to be on a screen share when they, for example, go into the back end of Shopify and show the yes, results and then exactly. you, you can ask questions and see them clicking things and that it's like a real exactly. interface. Ex yeah, exactly. And ideally what I would suggest people do is they get, uh, viewers access to their Shopify so they can add them as a user, not an editor or a collaborator, but somebody who could just view the, view the sales, view the amount of returns that that business has to see how valuable that business is. Same with an Amazon affiliate account or an AdSense account or any type of merchant account that they, you know, how they're earning the money is add people as a user. If they're not willing to do that, at least have a screen share with them, you know, re mm. record a call, ask questions, see that them going through, Hey, can you click on this button? So I can see what that, you know, what that data shows me. And then you can record that. And then you can input that data into this form or your own due diligence form, if you have one. So then you go through competitors, you go through workload, which is going to help you, you know, how much is it going to take to run the site? The main questions to be asking yourself is like, what's the worst case scenario? Yeah. When we buy an investment, what is the absolute worst case scenario? And then, so what's the downside? And then can you live with the downside? Our goal when we're doing due diligence is to not prove that the business is a good investment. This is what most people do, David, is they go, oh my God, I just saw a business for $100,000, that one on F International, $100,000, and it's making $22,000 net income per year. That's a 20, 20, almost a 22, 23, 24% return on investment per year. And it only takes me a couple of hours per week to run. They go to bed, they dream up this scenario, how good it would be if I own one of those and then two of those. And then they forget like, oh my God, I've got to do due diligence. They do due diligence and they go, I've got to prove this business is a good investment because I want to have this lifestyle. That's dumb. You, we need you know to what, Jared, this reminds me of what I run across very often when I'm talking with people and, or working with people on business plans. Because sometimes they will be so dedicated to the dream, to the idea of the business that they want to see happen, that they'll start to produce a build a business plan with projections and numbers that will then convince, for example, a banker to let them have a loan. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll be saying, you know what, what we're actually doing here is we're trying to run through scenarios to make sure that this is even a plausible, viable idea to begin with. We don't want to build something that is essentially a marketing document to try to convince a banker to make a loan. What we exactly. want to know is that the business is actually a good one uh, yeah. because if it turns out it isn't, it's a lot cheaper to find out here on paper than it is to, to borrow the money and build out the business and, and all that other stuff. And, and then exactly. realize we're just being driven by, uh, by this, by this dream, right? Exactly. And that's why I tell people to never ever prove a business as a good investment. Instead, what we need to do is we need to prove the business as a bad investment. And if we can't, then we must buy. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. So have you ever seen uh, sellers purposefully create or do something fraudulent to try to make a business look better than it is? <laughs> every time. All every time? time? Is that Not every say? time. No, I okay. should say all, every time. No, a lot. A lot <laughs> of the time, you know, they will tell porky pies, they'll tell lies, they'll, you know, not they'll withhold information sometimes. Um, and that's why I believe it's better to go with these uh, 
market, not just the, not the marketplaces, sorry, with the brokers because they have their reputation at stake, right? Mm. And they don't want to sell dud listings. So that means they vet the businesses before they sell them. So they don't want to sell any, any dud businesses. So they kind of do their own due diligence prior to even listing a business. That said, doesn't mean you just go, oh, I'll just buy one from a broker that have already done due diligence. No, they haven't really done enough due diligence to warrant you purchasing an investment. Because I know a lot of people that bought yeah. business from brokers and they've gone bad and sideways and you need to do your own due diligence, uh, which is critical. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because these, these brokers are doing a lot of international transactions too. I mean, some of them also facilitate um, in the the terms and sort of acting as escrow agents and things like that too, don't they? Um, they do act as escrow agent, uh, a lot of the brokers. So when you purchase a business, you will pay the money to the broker. They'll hold the funds until all the, the contents and all the, the business is into the owner of the new hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, the new hands of the owner, sorry, I should say. And then once that's all done, then the broker will release their release the money to the uh yeah to seller have you ever had any circumstances or or do you know of any cases where someone's done a deal and then and then has been upset afterwards and has tried to seek some kind of legal solution i mean international deals is very tough to do this on any kind of scale like what we're talking about here with this price of these businesses um I did have somebody who purchased a business from a broker that's kind of newish in the space Then I won't mention them. Um, and the business just wasn't going well. And so they kind of, they were able to back out of the deal because they were in an inspection period. Um, luckily they were in an inspection period and they kind of saw like, oh, this business isn't what it says it is. And, and they got out of it. Um, there has been people, I know that there are stories of people that have bought a business and information has been withheld. Um, and those, and those per- people doing the due diligence didn't know to ask those questions um, or yeah, I, I mean, it, it can happen. It, it can definitely happen. Like that's a, that's a horror, that's a horror story. That's a worse case scenario and usually that doesn't happen um but it has happened you know and and that's the nature of life i mean sometimes these things can happen to us without us knowing one of the ways that we control risk in 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 most of these business acquisition deals is through some amount of seller financing is that quite common Mm -hmm. in this space yeah so there's you got different deal structures um and negotiations um people like negotiation tactics and all that sort of stuff i'm not um i'll tell you my negotiation I wouldn't say it's a tactic. I'd say it's a strategy. Um, yes. So we'll talk about the structures first. You you can buy a business with financing um, from um, SBA, uh, SBA loan in America or financing from your own financer, wherever you get that finance. It's hard to do with an online business. Uh, and then, yeah, the next next best thing I think is doing an earn out. Okay, so you you buy the business, say for $100,000, you put $80,000 and then over the next six months, you pay that $10,000 off over a six month period without interest. That's an earn out. And then you've got seller financing, which is basically an earn out, but you're paying a 
uh, percentage of interest on those repayments that you need to make um, yeah. or, or however you want to structure it. So yeah, we definitely do seller finance. Um, yeah. They're the, they're the main sort of structures. Then you've got like ad backs and you can have different structures where if the business performs, like you do a, a seller's finance, right? Or an earnout, and the business performs better, you'll pay a little bit more or if the business performs you know, under what it was performing, then you'll pay a little bit less in those repayments as well. So you can sort of hedge your bets a little bit as you as you go through owning the business. So basically, it's really it's wide open to all the same kinds of notions and yes. ideas that we see in, in other deal making. Um, and do you find that these online brokers do a good job of letting sellers know the kinds of different things that might be coming their way as far as offers and these different kinds of terms and arrangements? No. They do not. Uh, the reason being is because the brokers want the money like this, right? They want all cash because yeah. that means they get, they get their commission a lot quicker, which from business standpoint, I'd understand why for them, but for a seller, it's not the greatest. Uh, I mean, for a, for a seller, it's great, but for a, a buyer, it's not the best. Like they're definitely working for the seller here. Um, they want to get a higher price for the business, which makes them more money and the seller more money. So they don't, they're not as creative with how you could purchase a business. Um, you know, you, the, what you can do is I think it's the best way to structure something is to put your creative hat on. It's all how you do creative financing and, and ask them, Hey, what would you rather? Would you rather a hundred K in cash or would you rather pay 110 K but paid out over time? Mm. Would you rather earn more money over a longer period of time to lay gratification or do you want the, you know, a lesser amount and run with it? I guess it would depend on how much the seller trusted you, right? I mean, um, in your experience, how important is it for the buyer to have, uh, you know, a, a, the proper kind of background? Does that help them negotiate more creative terms? Of course. And what I call this is becoming an attractive buyer. An attractive buyer wins you deals. An attractive buyer actually it flips the script. It changes it from being the seller is and the broker is the only person to having leverage to actually I've just gained a bunch of respect of a person that I've got zero leverage in this deal. Like I've got zero push or move. You actually flip the script. If you become an attractive buyer and you not just even without having uh, any experience or owning a deal, and I've helped a lot of people that have never bought a business become an attractive buyer and pay less for a business than other people were offering because they became an attractive buyer. And how you do that is you prove to them that you know the right questions to ask, the questions that I mentioned in my due diligence, the questions that you should be, you know, you buy a lot of respect from the broker. A lot of the brokers go, wow, where do you get these questions from, right? Or how did you know to ask that if this is your first deal? And they go, okay, this person isn't here to just like buy a business. They know what they're doing. They've got a plan. They've got a criteria. They're going to do, they're going to do it in the right process. And they're going to do this business justice once we hand it, hand it over to them. And that buys respect. And so when you put an offer in and you say, I'm going to put one offer in, uh, I'm going to purchase it at a hundred grand. Now don't come back to me with count offers. Cause I'm going to say, no, I'm going to pay a hundred grand. It's a good offer. You, I know what the business is worth. You and I both know what this is worth. If you find somebody else that wants to pay more for the business, please, 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 please go away and do that if you want to make more money. 
but if you feel that my offer is good and you feel that I'm going to do the business justice, then let me know and we can, we can have a deal, right? I don't like to play games. I like to, I like to get the data, know the value of business, say, this is how much it's worth. This is how much I will pay. If you want to play games, there's plenty of people out there that will do it, but I'm going to do this business an awesome, awesome justice. And I'm going to grow it if you want to choose my offer. So that's how I like to negotiate is like, is flip the script and go from, oh, I'll pay a little bit more and I'll, you know, do all these little, these tactics to try and win the business. Um, if you just know how to buy a business and you're taught the right way, or you know how to negotiate and you know how to flip the script to become an attractive buyer, then you get leverage, you get respect. And that's a hard thing for to do with hard, hard thing for someone to do if they're a first time buyer. Yeah. I can totally see that. I can totally see that. I know. Um, and, and I can tell you that I've got similar experiences with, with the people that I work with too. One of the, you know, some of the tools that we use are, you know, things like cash flow forecasts and stuff, and people will make offers and sellers want way more. And when you start to demonstrate, here's why my offer is reasonable and here's why the business can't afford to pay, you know, to carry any more debt or, or what have you. Proof, yeah. We often then get a, a positive response from sellers who start to say, oh, here, this person really knows what they're doing. And, and to your point, it's that R word, it's that respect, right? They start to see yeah. the buyer in a different light. Yeah. And what you've just done there is people may not see is you've just done work, right? And that work has made you money. That work has just gone, all right, I've put in some equity here. And with this money I've made, I've just bought some respect. Hmm. I've actually paid for some respect with my time by showing them like, this is what can happen to your business if you don't fix it. And when I buy the biz, and that's why your business isn't worth what you want. And when I buy the business, what's my plan is to fix that. And they go, all right, that's something I never saw. This guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Exactly what you just mentioned. Yeah. So th this is great. You, you and I are doing a, a, a collaborative effort here. I'm, you, you've coming on my YouTube channel. We're talking about online businesses and generating passive income. I, I'm going to come over to your YouTube channel and we're going to do a talk about different ways to buy a business with none of your own money, which should, yeah. be, an which should be an interesting talk too. And for those of you who are watching this video, just look down in the show notes. We'll have a link to Jared's YouTube channel that has the video that I'm appearing on. And um, well, I'll get you to provide me with a bunch of the links uh, for all that other stuff, the, the, the brokers and the, um, a link where people can download that, uh, that framework, if you wouldn't mind. I know people would appreciate sure. that. Yeah, I'll get a list of brokers and the steps that we went through and I'll just put it, you can put it all in the show notes and stuff. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, for those of you who are watching, uh, don't forget, if you haven't already, head over to uh, davidcbarnett.com. There's places there where you can sign up for my email list. That way you'll never miss an email. You'll always be notified in your inbox whenever I have a new video coming out like this one that I'm doing with Jared here today. And uh, if you're planning on buying a business, if you're going to buy an online business, you should be tuning into Jared's show. That's all he talks about is online businesses. Um, and if, if you want to buy a business in general, head over to businessbuyeradvantage.com where you can learn all about my services and how I help people and, and my pro coaching programs and online courses as well. And with that, thank you very much, Jared. It's been great talking to you again. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks so much. All right. We'll talk to you later. Yeah.